0: Good morning. morning. Hey, before we jump into the service, I want to pray, and I want to pray specifically for those that are being affected by the fires in Maui. So, would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are a God who cares, and we thank you that you are a God that can intervene, and so we ask God through common grace, but also through supernatural ways that you would uh, save people, that you would save them physically, you'd save them spiritually, and that you'd allow these fires to d- die down, and that people, we'd stop hearing about numbers continuing to increase. Lord, thank you that you are a God who, like I said, cares. And we just pray for your sovereign hand over that community, especially, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing the series known as What Is It You Do Here? And we've spent some time walking through the different things in this church that we do. And so today we're going to have the time to spend both in here and then for those who want to be a part of it, we're going to eat some pulled pork outside or in the fellowship hall. And there's going to be water games and kids are going to have fun, I hope. And it should be a really good time together. And I emphasize the Together. Together. Not separate, not alone, but enjoying Jesus together is what we do here, and it is what the name of the series is, which is, What Does You Do Here? And over the past few weeks, we have covered a bit of the history of Church of the Valley and the present and the future here at COV, and we have discussed teaching, the emphasis that we make the Word of God being proclaimed and explained through the lens of the gospel, the finished work of Christ. We have discussed leadership and how important it is that we, as leaders, place ourselves under the authority of God's will revealed in God's word, and how important it is that we follow Jesus and understand that all of us that have called on the name of the Lord, who have committed our lives to Christ, who identify with Jesus' finished work on the cross and the resurrection, we are sheep. I'm a sheep. Last week, we heard from both our creative director, Laura Stengel, and she is enjoying being in the back of the room now, and our worship director, Malik Campbell, about how everything we do is worship, and how both of their ministries support the gospel being of first importance here at Church of the Valley. Today we look at community, which has been a word that gets tossed around in so many instances, and community, and I I, I need you to hear this. Because I don't don't know how all of you are going to hear this, but stick with me. Community here at Church of the Valley is not the goal. The gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed and prioritized is the goal. But community is a byproduct of the gospel. And it creates a church body that believes and emphasizes and cares about the same common goal, which is Jesus being made much of. Now, when I say that this community is about the gospel, that could be misconstrued or assumed, especially if you have church content or uh, uh, maybe a church tradition in the past where being about the gospel means that there's an altar call every week. An altar call is where at the end of a sermon, a worship leader would come up here, he or she would play the guitar and start to strum it while the preacher uses a bunch of inflection in their voice to help get you to come down out of your seat, down the aisle, to the altar or the steps, showing publicly that in a moment of emotion, you want to show off that maybe you're repenting. Now, while not all altar calls are that cynical, I've seen it. I've been a part of it. And unfortunately, not all people who walk down an aisle or raise a hand or fill out a card or even get baptized are truly serious about following Jesus. And community is one of the ways that a person who comes to Christ grows. But it is also one of the ways that their faith is proven genuine. Not because they attend church, even though it's really nice to be together. But because they aren't rattled when things get difficult within the community. Has anyone ever struggled with other people in the church? Raise your hand, be honest. Okay, well, just wait. Community means not alone. And not alone creates the need for selflessness, which many who are not accustomed to community tend to struggle with. I've said it before, being a Christian means you're not, only, you're, not, you're not only called by God to be in relationship with him, you're called by God to be in relationship with other people. Here's the thing, and I am one of these, but the reality is when you come to Christ, you are not an only child. You are grafted into, you are adopted into the family of God as a child of God with brothers and sisters who make up the church, not the steeple, but the people. God does this because he knows that we as a people, his church, are better than any one of us by ourselves. I've heard it mentioned, I've heard people say this, I, I, don't, I can't picture anyone in this room saying this, but I've heard people say, well, Jesus would have died just for me if I were the only one who had sinned. And while I don't actually think that is biblical, that isn't what happened. The gospel is necessary because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So we are level at the foot of the cross, and we're in need of grace. And because of that, being a part of the family of God is not only necessary for our salvation, but it's also necessary for our sanctification, our growth, our spiritual growth, our Christ-likeness to look more like Jesus over time. But being part of the family of God is most glorifying to God as his family works together to glorify Jesus. So with that in mind, I'm going to take us to a very familiar passage. If this is your first time, maybe you haven't heard me talk about it before, but if you've been here a while, we have taught this passage many a times over the past six years that I've been here, and I want you to not just think about how to become part of the church, but that the church is actually... God's collective family working together with the same beliefs, the same emphasis, and the want for God's glory to be revealed, not only to just those within the family, but to make known to the world of God's gracious invitation into his family for all who would believe. Now, here's a disclaimer. We're going to read a passage that many of you have heard before, and it will be really easy for you to be like, oh, Tim's talking about that again, and to check out. Don't do that. And don't do that, not for my sake, whatever. Do that for your sake, because when someone is unwilling to hear the truth of the word that continues to be preached at them, maybe, just maybe, God wants to remind them because he didn't hear it the 18th time. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. You can grab the Bible in front of you. It'll be on the screen. And we're going to look at a passage that we've talked about before. But here's the crazy thing about God's word. As we mature, we don't just start to see new things in the text, it starts to affect us differently and it starts to mean more to us. So, Acts chapter 2, and we begin in verse 42, and this comes right after Peter preaches at Pentecost, where thousands of people have become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ through the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit and the proclaiming of the gospel from where? The Old Testament to these God-worshipping Jews who have now realized that Jesus is the Messiah, that their very scriptures were talking about and foreshadowing. So here we go, verse 42. They, the early church, the people that had just become believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Luke begins with what the early church was and what they were about. They were devoted. They were given over to. They were about and under and engaged in some things that made the early church the early church. Devoted. Here's my favorite definition that I read anywhere. To steadfastly be attentive unto something. To steadfastly be attentive unto something. To give unremitting care to a thing. And I think that is more wordy, but it is a descriptive way of saying, They were all about this. The devotion that these brand new believers had was something so pure. It was so foundational. And I'd perhaps point out that many believers today have overlooked how necessary and important these things that we just are reading are. And Luke says for these believers 2,000 years ago how devoted they were and how I believe devoted we ought to be. So the first one is that we speak about a lot, because Luke begins with it. I do think it's as foundational as it gets. We need to explore it once again. The early believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, it would be easy to just say, you mean the Bible? Yes and no. What were these teachings? They were the explanation of the continuation of the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament as we refer to it. The apostles who had Jesus had commissioned to go and be witnesses for him. So we're going to talk back a little bit with this verse because we know it if if you've been here a while. Jesus says to his apostles before he ascends to heaven, he says, but you will receive power. Say power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, what does a witness do? Testify. Testify in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I just realized that my testify yell is the same as my dad voice. I just realized that. (laughs) Testify, go to your room, anyway. And these apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, took the message of the gospel, the good work of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the finished work of Christ throughout all of Asia Minor and Greece and to the ends of the earth. And this message was not just, well, Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. But the fulfillment of the Old Testament that Jesus claimed to be and he proved he was through the life and the death and the resurrection was being proclaimed, it was being exclaimed, it was being explained all throughout the world. Why? Because the Holy Spirit got a hold of these people and Jesus was alive. Can I get a witness and an amen from Daniel Delwood on live stream? All right. Now Jesus says, in Matthew 5:17, he is speaking and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This signifies, symbolizes the Old Testament. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus, the fulfillment of the scriptures was being proclaimed. The apostles' teachings about Jesus were being taught. And that is what these early believers were learning, reading, hearing. They were devoted to it. They just wanted to talk about the reality that Jesus was alive. Daniel just texted me. Yay. And I'm not saying we as the teaching team, let's be real. I'm not saying we as the teaching team are the most sound biblical preachers in all of the world. It would be ridiculous to assume that about ourselves. But I will say this. We attempt to teach the text. We attempt to find the application. We attempt to try to motivate and encourage one another to put into practice what the text says and it means. And I'll take that over just memorizing Greek or Hebrew any day as our main goal. The goal is to love and know Jesus through his word and to proclaim how good he is because of what he's done for us. But the most important thing I'd say about our teaching of the word is this that we are not stagnant, we are growing. And as you grow more, meaning in the text, context in the text, and truth is revealed in the very same words perhaps, we have read a hundred times over like this passage we're currently reading. So they, the early church, the people that had just become believers, and we have the opportunity to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is said to be foundational along with the Old Testament about what our faith is founded on. In fact, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says it this way in Ephesians 2. Consequently, you, believers, are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So I'd say first and foremost, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, but because they were, they were also devoted to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so let's unpack some of that as well. Fellowship means to have partnership around a shared belief. And for the early church and for us, I would contend that that shared belief is the gospel. That that a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and being in relationship with God is accessible, it is possible if you believe that what Jesus has done has accomplished your right standing before God. And fellowship is not just the coming together with anyone, but when believers enjoy one another's presence and friendship, fellowship is happening. When I was part of a church plant that eventually was adopted and became part of Church of the Valley. Looking back, and I'm going to be real, and I don't, I, I don't think that's going to offend any of you, but feel free to email me at Mike's email address if it does. We were a lot of different types of people when the church plant came here. Different ages, different demographics, different beliefs. We had different priorities. We had different expectations of how church community should or shouldn't be. And if I want to admit it or not... Community was a bit forced. And by forced, I mean people would come together in community groups, which many people had never been a part of before up until this point. Or they'd come together in a manufactured event. Or they'd hear, hey, you need to do one-on-ones that required more than just opening up the Bible, reading, unpacking, and applying. But true relationship... An unforced community that I've realized over the past few years, especially, takes a lot more knowing of one another than just doing a Bible study or sitting with someone for a few moments produces. In fact, I've had conversations with some of you that have been in this church for six years or almost 70 years, and there's people that you've sat with for years in this building and you don't know them, and it shouldn't be like that. Not that everyone has to go and talk to every single person every week, but there's something to be said about coming together and building relationships, and you don't have to ask them what their favorite hobbies are. It can be a lot more organic than that. Now, there's been a lot of grapefruit that's been produced over the years in fellowship through this church. There has also been, unfortunately, a sense of forced relationships, religious expectations of one another, and in almost robot-like way, Mike, can you do the robot? Can you come up? I'm just kidding. But almost like a robot-like way of doing relationships where we're more focused on the method of trying to make a relationship than we are on actually building the relationship. And that produced, okay, since I'm spilling some tea, that produced some codependency and a sense of putting others on pedestals that no one had any right or reason to ever be put on. So the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to being around each other because of the same common goal of Jesus being made much of. But they were also, and and we're going to continue, but I might go back to that, they were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, breaking of bread, for most Christians, has a few different meanings. To most Christians, or no, 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 to a first-century Jew... Having a meal together was a very, very big deal. It was a production. It was the highlight of hospitality. To be invited over for a meal meant you were the guest of honor and would have your feet washed by the host and often would be seated at a seat of the highest honor near the host. You also would be waited on. And this was a way that people would be served. Now it's similar today. Um, thank you, Neathlings, and thank you, Zilkas. Because to be honest, I feel more honored when I go over to someone's house and they go, food's in the fridge, do your thing. And that, for me, at least makes me feel more like I'm a part of the community, a part of the family, part of I have a relationship with them. And breaking of bread also alludes to what we practice here at Church of the Valley, known as communion which Jesus told his disciples to do in remembrance of him. But I'd like us to look past just the actual practical and look to the symbol in which communion represents, which is Christ's sacrifice for our sin. Communion is a direct application of belief. To break bread, we exercise this ordinance that Jesus gave us. Alongside baptism, when appropriate, as a public proclamation of dying to ourselves and representing our coming alive in Christ. And we as believers get to practice this in the corporate gathering, uh, communion, taking of bread, the juice symbolizes Christ's blood that was spilled for us, and the bread symbolizes his broken body for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And we can do this also by sharing meals with one another and giving thanks, perhaps before or after we get and have the meal with one another. I hung out with three dear friends this past Friday, and we were having the meal. And I generally, when we go to have a meal, I think everyone's like, well, you're the pastor, you pray. But the host of this time was like, hey, I'm going to pray. And he prayed and he gave thanks to God for us and for the food and for the sustenance. And it is an opportunity that we have as believers to come around and remember how good it is that Christ has died in our place. So here is my encouragement to each and every single one of you who is feeling led to engage more in community. Do meals with one another. Do a meeting with some type of sustenance together. And thank God. Remember Christ's sacrifice and enjoy one another's company because God has called us to not be only children in the faith. But this includes us in a large family. God includes us in a large family of other believers. Why? To help us grow and practice fellowship and to symbolize the goodness of the gospel together. So Luke points out this devotion, the steadfast adhering to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and then prayer. Prayer seems kind of self-explanatory. We just did a series on prayer. But I'll tell you what, prayer both personally and corporately with other people is a freaking gift from God. Can I say that? I just did. Prayer is a gift from God. Here is why I say that. Because some of my favorite moments with friends and family who feel like more than just friends and family, but like this closeness, this connection, comes through prayer over time, either in the times of crisis or the times of encouragement. And while I don't subscribe to the idea that prayer needs to be involved in any and every interaction we have with believers, you find out your barista is a believer and you're like, let me pray for you while there's this long line. No! But you'd be surprised how encouraging and powerful it can be when it isn't forced or required. So you have this devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And for some, stay with me, they itemize this as a checklist. And usually they major in one of them. As if being about the Bible means you don't need to engage with one another. Or being a prayer warrior excludes you from hearing back from God in his word. Or perhaps you do all the rituals that are known in Christianity, but having intimacy with God yourself through prayer is just not something you're willing to do. Or we socialize with other believers, but never actually discuss or know what one another majors in or what they really believe, because we'd prefer friendship over fellowship and don't want to gasp possibly disagree with something. Now, being in the Word, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, is and here's my point with it, is a very good balanced diet of how we exercise our Christian lives. This is good. This is good, but don't make it an itemized checklist. I'd contend that many of us do not find this community. We find in Scripture because we either try to force it, or we don't actually know what one another believes. So we place expectations on others that are never communicated. As a friend of mine once told me, he said, non-communicated expectations are just future disappointments. Isn't that true? So as I say this passage with two different friends in this community this past week, I noticed something I never noticed before about this one specific verse that perhaps because God's word is living and active shows up different than I have ever seen before. Considering Luke writes this explanation of what happened right after Peter's sermon at Pentecost, where there were thousands of God-fearing Jews where they came to celebrate what was known as the Feast of Weeks, which was 50 days after the celebration of the Passover, all of these Jews who came together were an audience to the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter and proclaiming the truth of the gospel personified in Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, and they were being taught from where? The Old Testament. And they saw at least 3,000 men and probably many other uh, women and children who believed. So let's just round up 10,000 new believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does the Spirit do in them? They become devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is not a formula to attempt to replicate for community. This is what the Spirit does in those who are pursuing Christ as his church. And if we force it, we attempt to make the method the point, then we get disappointed that community doesn't come easy to us. But like all things in Christianity, if we make Jesus the point, and we then see his word and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, guess what it is? It's worship to Jesus community perhaps won't happen the way that we drew it up. But we will get to experience what God gives us in community that is serious about the same thing, which is Jesus and his glory. So Luke is writing about what happened as the early church begins to come together, and he states this in the next verse. That was a lot of time on one verse, but we're going to go a little faster now. Verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The coming together in devotion for and about Jesus also uh, had apostles. They were known as the sent ones who were performing wonders and signs that pointed to whom? Jesus. You guessed it, Jesus. And people were filled with awe. They were awestruck. They wanted to know where this power came from. And the apostles knew not only was it not happening in their own power, but it was not a sign to point any one of them to them but to the king who had risen from the dead more on that in a moment verse 44 all the believers were together and had everything in common okay this verse can be seen two ways and both are biblical okay and while both are true i believe luke is specifically going to point out the second one that i explained so many read this everything in common to take that to mean they were all of one mind spirit they believed the same thing and they did. And that is very true. It is very important. But I believe Luke was pointing to their possessions that were common to one another. That what they had and possessed was not something they needed to keep for themselves. Because the gospel message and forgiveness of their sins had had attempted... Uh, All of a sudden, all the realization that they had been forgiven of their sins all of a sudden made the attempting to accumulate and keep stuff no longer was their priority above the care for others. And where do I get this interpretation? Why do I think this is what everything in common means? Because Scripture interprets Scripture and context determines meaning. And the very next verse says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This was the ultimate sacrifice for the natural person. But for those who had experienced the supernatural sacrifice of Jesus Christ dying for them and rising again, their material wealth was not as important to them as the needs of others. This is a telltale sign of our understanding of the gospel, Not, not just intellectually, but spiritually and practically. How can I not want others to be cared for when I grasp how cared for I am? How can I not want others to experience grace when I have experienced grace? And Jesus speaks about this in the parable of Matthew, in Matthew 18. It's kind of long, but stick with me. It's pretty important. He says, starting in verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against, against me? Up to seven times? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, begged him, look at what he says, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. I I don't get that. How do you pay the debt while you're in prison? Never mind. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Snitch. (laughs) Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Whoa, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So what can we take away from that? The servant who is forgiven by God, the servant who experiences grace to get what they do not deserve, if they have really grasped That grace has been received. If they've really grasped how big it is, he then knows that he was not worthy of forgiveness, so he too can forgive those who do not deserve the forgiveness of their sins and their debts as well. It's kind of a big deal. And unfortunately, I and many forget that we have actually received grace in the first place. And we're not deserving of our forgiveness. We are not deserving of our relationship with God. But God, Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, getting what you do not deserve you have been saved. And so the people of the early church who had just embraced grace and experienced God's love sold what they could so no one would be in need and they did this because they understood what had been given to them. Uh, If you're visiting us this week, earmuffs. All right? (laughs) I don't talk a lot about money here. In fact, I probably, like I get the feeling the elders are kind of like you should probably talk about it more. I don't talk a lot about it in sermons, unless the text speaks to it. And almost exclusively, when the scripture is speaking about finances, it's really about our heart and our motivation. So hear that. If you don't know me, you don't know what a big deal it is for me not to spend all my time trying to ask for money. And I make this point that I don't know what anyone gives here at the church so I can continue to be impartial. But let me say this. For some of us, our finances are our God. Our finances and our savings and our accumulation of wealth mean more to us than God's grace being lavished upon us and on others. And while I consider this community a very generous community, I also know that finances cause some of us to stumble. So let me say this about giving. Giving financially is worship. And if we think holding back worship for God is justifiable, then perhaps we don't actually understand grace. And maybe perhaps we haven't received it. I don't know. Because like the parable of the undeserving servant, God forgives us our debts, and yet we still want others to give us what we are due. Now listen, everybody, listen. Being a Christian means you understand that you do not want what you are due. I'd much prefer grace, church. No matter how hard I try or how serious I get about my relationship with Christ, I am a sinner and I still sin and it's messed up and I do the things I don't want to do and I know the things I should do and then I don't do them. And yet God is gracious in all of that to grow me to look more like Jesus. And I still need grace. And when I remember my spiritual deficit, it's a lot longer than my wingspan. It's, it's more than Victor Wenbin wingspan. That's my first reference to him. I remember God's unmerited favor. It invokes worship in me. It invokes generosity in me. It invokes grace spilling out. But that's why I got to come here and got to spend time with one another in community and be reminded of grace. That's why we need to remind each other what we've been saved from. That's why God calls us to be a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. If I had tattoos, I'm not against them at all. Needles aren't my favorite, but if I had tattoos, this would be a good one. It truly would. God loves a cheerful giver. So let me say this again. Your offering to God, and we're talking financially right now, is worship to God. And so don't treat it perhaps like I used to in the past where I treated giving like a tax. Jesus says, give to Caesars what is Caesars. But when we give to the mission of the gospel, it is out of worship to God who we know provides for us, and we exercise that belief in giving back. And in our context, as a church, we then use the offering to employ those we believe can further the mission of the gospel through this church and to help those who are in need in and outside of the community here at COV. But I also want you to be aware, church, that this wasn't a one-time thing. Luke wasn't just like, oh, this one time they sold stuff. Luke continues to accentuate this specific practice in the early church two chapters later. And I'd like you to see the specific message that was being proclaimed and caused these people to act in the supernatural way. So Acts 4, 32, it says, all the believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. This is not communism for the record, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. From time to time. They brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The believers were of one heart and one mind that what many believe Luke meant in Acts was that they had everything in common, but Luke also points out here, it was consistent with what he said in Acts 2, that they shared their possessions so no one was in need. When we are needy, And don't tell me you never get needy. When we are needy, we are dependent upon others. And that can either become a humbling situation or it can become a prideful one. And the early church was removing the distraction that so many of us have with earthly worry that they could then point to the resurrection of Jesus because these people's needs were taken care of. Back to Acts 2, 46. Every day... They continued together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Every day the church was meeting. Now, to be fair, this probably doesn't mean every person individually was meeting with every person individually. Maybe it does. But the church body, those who believed Peter's message, had become part of the community. And people from that community were meeting every single day in some capacity both in the temple courts and in one another's homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now again, as we spoke about breaking bread, having a meal together was a big deal. These new believers of the Lord Jesus Christ also got around the apostles' teaching. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. And we want our community to be a community believing the same thing, the gospel, and coming together to enjoy that. But the logistics are not as important as gathering together because of the gospel. we I don't know if you know this, we don't do everything that every other church does. I know, right? But we do community groups with the hope that we will grow together, have relationships with one another. We believe the gospel together or we ask questions about the gospel together and we care for one another. Karen Miller, who is currently probably watching this online, Our community groups director is someone who prays and equips our leaders and prays for each of us in this church that we would engage in community together, specifically also in community groups. So we'll have a context for the church gathering to become smaller and for each of us to be known and for each of us to grow together. Let me share with you four things that she hopes will be accomplished in our community groups, and I'm going to explain them. Increase in the knowledge of God and trust him more fully. To rightly interpret scripture through the lens of the gospel. To practice and receive all the one another's in scripture. More on that in a moment. To spur one another on to love and good deeds. So she says, to increase in knowledge of God and trust him more fully. This seems self-explanatory and a very good motivation for any of us to spend time together in a community group. To rightly interpret scripture through the lens of the gospel is the best way to increase in our knowledge of God and to trust him more fully and apply and obey his word. But the third one, though, that one's a little practice and receive all the one another's in scripture. I don't think this is the entire list, but let me give you some of the one another's and think about the people in this congregation to love one another, to be devoted to one another. To honor one another above yourselves, to live in harmony with one another, to build up one another, to accept one another, to admonish one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to speak the truth in love to one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to consider others better than yourselves, to look to the interests of one another to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, to pray for one another, to confess your faults to one another. Yep, not an only child. We're doing this together. And when we see our coming together, being devoted to Christ as a community, we all have the opportunity in the word to practice the one another's Which leads us to the fourth thing, that we hope to accomplish through our coming together in community groups, the spurring one another on to love and good deeds. So church, we focus both in community, in the large gathering, which is this, in the event, which we're about to have, and within community groups and connections, socially and individually, because we believe it's a direct application of God's word and an amazing opportunity to be around people that perhaps differ from you in some ways, but either have or one day may believe the same things about the gospel of grace that you believe personified in the work of Jesus. And with all of that that we have studied today about what the early church was like, they believed unto Jesus, and here was the result. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Praising God. This is what the early church did because of the grace that had been revealed to them. Because of their sins being forgiven. Because they knew that God had defeated death. Because they knew that the Holy Spirit had done miraculous things in them. And through the apostles, they praised God for their community. That he was in his infinite wisdom he brought together. And I just want to praise God for this community. So I'm going to go, um, someone in the tech booth, can you go press one on the lights? We aren't perfect, thank you. But we are being perfected as we pursue Christ through obeying his word. And for once, I think collectively, the motivation of our hearts as a community is to bring God glory. And man, how can you not praise him when you see that happening in real time. So I wanna, I wanna praise real quick. I wanna praise God for the Neathlings, not because they lead our choir, not because they just help lead worship, not just because Dan made some killer pulled pork, and I don't know this for a fact yet because I didn't have some early, but in the past, it's been fantastic. But I wanna praise you for the friends that you are to so many people in this congregation. I wanna praise God for the pans. And the work that God has done through them and the work they've been doing here, both Eugene doing ministry up here, which I'm not sure he was totally like into that. And then Malik and Laura were like, come on. And Pat, who cares for the women in this church and and invests and is often a community group leader and she cares and she prays. I want to praise God for Moises and Janet. I thank you for your friendship. And I thank you, Moises, for those years that you were on staff, even though it wasn't always easy. It was hard. Can I get a witness? but I want to praise God for both of you and the work that God's done in you, that you've stuck it out and you've worked through some hard stuff and you've both grown like crazy. I want to thank God for the this, it's not just because they came back from India and rushed to church that one time, <laughs> but just for the difference that this family makes in this community. And the reality that they love the Lord and their kids are getting the opportunity to hear the gospel consistently all of the time and the parents are caring for people in this community and loving people in this community. I praise God for Rich and Robin. Rich, praise God that you're here. That's all I'm gonna say about that because I get emotional. And the Lord in his infinite wisdom is the one who brings people together for our good and our sanctification and for his glory. So we don't have to manufacture community or force people to get saved like in some of the traditions that I was a part of. We can be about the gospel. We can talk about it. We can live it out. We can filter our lives through the gospel and we have vehicles to have community together and fellowship, but we don't have to force it. We just need to remember how good we have it in Christ and how we <clears throat> how good it is to experience the gospel as we join together and do community with other believers unashamedly behind the reality that we're in love with Jesus. So church, get excited. If he adds to our number daily, or he adds progressively, he is the one doing the adding. And you and I are not responsible to save anyone. Anyone who came in here and was like, I got to save people, take that off your shoulders. We are responsible to be prepared with an answer when asked about the hope that we have to love people, both the one another's. And those who are yet to know and believe God at His Word and God in His goodness will add to His church those who are being saved. But I want to praise Him for the fact that He saved a wretch like me, that He added you and I to His people as His children. And we praise Him because He is the name above every name. Church, let's praise Him, both in song, which, worship team, come on up. We'll do that in just a moment. But also we can praise him by being in community around the fact that the gospel is true, grace is irresistible, and Jesus is risen. Can I get a witness? So let's praise him. Let's worship him. Let's be reminded of how good he is present tense. And spend the next many moments reflecting in song and instrument about the greatness of our God who lived, He died, He rose, and He reigns. Stand with me as I pray. Father, it is good to be together. I look forward to Sundays. I don't know that I always felt that way, but I look forward to Sundays. I look forward to spending time with people that I know and that people I get to meet. Well, Lord, we don't come here for me. I don't come here for me. We come around this. We do this. We worship together. We do pulled pork lunches. We share in community through community groups. We meet at Pete's. We meet at Starbucks. We do life together. Why? Because Jesus, you're alive. And we praise you. So God, as we sing these songs or we look at the lyrics or... As we just meditate on what your word has taught us today, God, I pray that you would use it to grow us in our, our affection for you, God. We thank you that we get to do this together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.